You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with Ben Golliver, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. Got a big show today. We're going to talk about LeBron shutting it down for the season uh, and him filming Space Jam 2. That's coming up. Zion's fit in the NBA now that his Duke career is over. But let's start in the Eastern Conference. And, and with those teams that are in the, the midst of this playoff race, the Heat, the Pistons, the Nets, and the Magic, all these teams that are on the playoff bubble, they have to win as many games as possible in these next two weeks to close the regular season, Ben. And they all lost tonight. So I guess not much has changed. No, there's so much going on. First of all, it's great to be here in person with you. Again, we're back at the uh, San Francisco Ritz-Carlton penthouse suite, as always. It's, it's great to have you here. That's how we did. That's how we did. Um, but in all seriousness, this is Eastern Conference Death Week. If you look at the schedule, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it's just loaded with games mm-hmm. between sort of top-tier Eastern Conference teams and those teams 6, 7, 8, 9 that are fighting for those last playoff spots. And I'll be the first person to admit it, Wes. I don't really care who gets in and who gets out. I think all those teams are first-round roadkill. But it does give us something to talk about here uh, in the last two weeks of the season. And it's kind of hilarious. Like, there's been some teams already, like Boston's been resting some guys. Obviously, Toronto's been resting Kawhi all year. But you look at the results from tonight. I mean, four for four losses on the lower-seeded team. You know, the guys who are all fighting for that bubble aren't they looking for some more managed loads? Like, isn't this the week for the load management to come through and save some of these teams and give some of these teams the ability to sneak into the playoffs? This is what load management was all about, except all these teams are, like, hurt now, too, I guess. I don't know. Speaking of Kawhi, by the way, what great branding by him and his team. I think everything has worked out. He is the poster boy now for load management and New Balance sneakers. I mean, I think it's worked out perfectly for him. Um, no, but look. life comes at you fast. I mean, <laughs> one day you're part of a dynasty with Tim Duncan and, and uh, Greg Popovich, and you're wearing Jordans, and the next day you're trying to convince people that you guys actually have basketball sneakers, and uh, you're more notorious for the games that you sit out rather than you play. But we shouldn't take anything away from the Raptors, right? Because they're one of these mm-hmm. teams uh, on Monday night that got a big win. Yeah, they ended up being the Magic 121 to 109. Uh, Orlando. More than any of these teams, they're, if the playoffs started today, they'd be out. They'd be the ninth seed. They're a half game behind the Heat, who are at eight. The Heat lost tonight. They lost to the Celtics in their first game of their home-and-home home series to start the week. So they lose in Boston, 110-105, to um, despite Goran Dragic putting up 30 points in their game. But uh, the Heat, without Justice Winslow, without Josh Richardson, without Roddy Magruder, a bunch of their rotation wings, two of those guys are starters, they lose Derek Jones Jr. halfway through the game. And uh, to go back to your load management remark there, I mean, this is a team that is banged up at the worst possible time. And it's they have among the toughest schedules remaining in the league. And look, again, if the playoffs start today, the Heat would be in it. But a lot of these projection services right now are having them out of it, and, and this was a bad way to start the week for them. Well, the crazy thing about some of these teams, uh, the perception factor, right? Like Brooklyn is the darling of the internet for five straight months. If they bomb out and they're the ninth seed, we have to th- throw away a lot of columns, right? I mean, there's probably 300 <laughs> columns out there that were praising Kenny Atkinson, Coach of the Year, and D'Angelo Russell's a new superstar, and all these different things. We're crowding these guys. Uh, same thing goes for Orlando, by the way. They don't get talked about a lot. I mean, what a triumph it would be for their organization. Written off, not talked about, overlooked. If they were to kind of sneak in to one of those top eight seeds, uh, that would be a huge win for Steve Clifford. I think it would be a you know a mark of validation for their front office that's just kind of still getting settled in down there. Mm-hmm. It would also be big, by the way, for 
their recruitment effort of, of Vucevic, right? Because he's going to have a lot of people coming out after him. You look at the center market this summer, it's not that deep. I'm sure he's going to have some very lucrative offers making the playoffs. Who makes more money this summer, Vucevic or DeMarcus Cousins? Who makes more money for next year? Oh, for next year, I would say Vucevic. Personally, I'd pay Vucevic. I wouldn't think twice about it. And I would also be much more comfortable giving him a long-term deal. Mm. Um, but yeah, that t- says it all. If another guy is coming off an Achilles and he's been sort of hit or miss for Golden State and he's also in this conversation at, at the top of that position, that's trouble. I mean, the perception thing goes for Miami too. I mean, you know how it is. You know that culture down there better than I do. But they love to sell the idea of competitiveness constantly. You know, it would feel like a step back mm. if they're sending Dwayne Wade out on this retirement tour uh, as a lottery team. I mean, that would be a huge blow. So uh, a lot's at stake, even though basically, you know, point blank, you're going to win one game at most if any of those teams make the playoffs. You're going out in five games, but still, there's a lot uh, perception-wise at stake for all those teams. Well, let's talk about the, the other two teams. You mentioned Brooklyn. They lose tonight to Milwaukee, 131 to 121. Um, hey, and then- I, before we get into that, it's nuts that Giannis played that game, right? Yes. I mean, okay, so this guy's got an ankle. He's had it re-injured at least twice here in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. He rested for one. I don't know if they like put a gun to his head and said, you can't play. But then it's a very obvious resting game here against Brooklyn. What's the point? Uh, you don't you know, need to do—you're on the road. Just go ahead and punt it. Just see how it goes. And you saw how hard they punted that game against Atlanta, right? I mean, they're right. playing guys you've never even heard of in their starting lineup. Um, you know, they were playing guys like 53 minutes, I think, uh, in that overtime game. I mean, that's how hard they were basically tanking that game because Giannis uh, sat it out. I thought for sure he'd sit out another night, and he goes out there and plays and puts up huge numbers. Mm-hmm. It tells me, I think, that he's gunning for this MVP maybe a little bit more than he wants to admit. Ooh, interesting theory. Yeah, and look, I think you might be right because this is a guy that's come out a lot and kind of just talked about the work that he puts into things, right? He's like... He doesn't really want to be friends with these other superstars and all these things, and they would kind of almost do it justice. Like, look, we're the number one seed. Bud might be coach of the year. I might be MVP. Let's really get this train rolling. I kind of like it. Um, Chris Middleton didn't play in the game, too, so I don't know if they were like a little bit more like, all right, we kind of want you to play here. I don't know if they buy into the whole let's get into the playoffs hot thing because that's kind of been debunked over the years, but some teams still buy into that. Yeah, that whole rest versus rust debate's interesting. I mean, I think this is really just a, more, a case of Giannis saying, like, I don't want to mm-hmm. sit and, like, try to keep me out of this game. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's nice to see a guy that competitive, but you would hate to see a minor, you know, re-aggravation given all the other injury issues that they've had. Uh, they're so close to the end of the season, but they also have some other benchmarks. Not only is he in that all, uh, MVP conversation, you could say he's also in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation, and they're gunning for 60 wins, and they're also gunning for the best record in the league. And, um, you know, those things to an organization like that that hasn't had a ton of success here over the last 30 years, they probably all matter on some level. Mm-hmm. But I do think if we gave Coach Bud Truth Serum, he would just shut down Giannis until game one. I, I believe it. And the all-NBA situation, too. I mean, he's definitely going to be on it. But, you know, Paul George, Kevin Durant, they might have some first-team cases, too. Um, of all these teams, who do you want to see lose to the Bucks in the first round? Because we're talking, there's quite a, te- a few teams on the bubble. I don't know how interested you are in watching any of these guys. Orlando, Miami, Brooklyn, I- Detroit could still fall a little bit. I think the best series is probably Miami. Yeah. Um, but I think the team that, you know, just, uh, you know, if you're thinking with your heart, I actually give a little love to Orlando. It's okay. like they're the little engine that could here. And nobody <laughs> has any reason to believe in them. Their fan base has been through a lot. I mean, there's a lot of jokes about, you know, how many fans they have remaining mm-hmm. and, you know, I've asked you and, and David on past episodes, like, are the fans getting excited, you know, in Orlando yet? And the answer is usually, well, no, not really. 
Um, I think it would be an important step forward for their organization. In terms of matchup issues, though, I think Miami uh, matches up better with Milwaukee than a lot of these other teams do. That being said, you know this year's results when Giannis has been on the court against Miami have been very one-sided. Uh, I do think the send-off for Dwayne Wade would be a nice storyline. Uh, I can imagine that you know the building in Miami for games uh, what three and four would be really really loud. Um, and you know my, Miami is also just kind of a physical like make you work through type of uh, of team. And you know that series against Philadelphia last year was pretty quick. You know Philadelphia, but. Philadelphia beat them pretty soundly, but it was interesting to watch a guy like Simmons try to unlock Miami's defense, adjust to it, and then kind of get to really what he wanted to do. And then same thing goes for Embiid. So if that's what we get to see, you know, Giannis finally getting his first playoff series victory, but being pushed by a coach like Eric Spolster and being pushed by their front court athletes and their versatile players, um, I think we could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, and my, I'm a little biased here probably, but I'd like to see Miami in as the eighth seed. Um, but you know, if you're if you're Milwaukee, I don't think you're really worried about Orlando. You're not like, oh boy, Jonathan Isaac, that's going to be a problem. Like if you're Giannis, I, if, if if you look across this board here, Miami's probably the team. Like with their reputation, and everything, and obviously the coaching, the coaching with Eric Spoelstra there. Yeah, if you're the Bucks, you're probably like, all right, this is probably the team that we least want to deal with. But we're not super worried about any of these guys. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know Brooklyn, Orlando. If you're in Milwaukee, you'd probably mm-hmm. prefer those teams. And I don't know how Brooklyn matches up with Giannis. And I also think like you know it's one thing for Russell to take the step forward and establish himself as kind of this quote unquote All Star player. Um, it's another to do it in the playoffs. And I really think that Bledsoe would just win yeah. that matchup. And I think it would be very quick um, if that's how it played out. Let's uh, take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about LeBron James and uh, what the Lakers do next now that he's shut it down for the year. Wise is the indoor camera that does it all. Wise is packed with premium features that allows you to see everything from anywhere for only 20 bucks. 1080p, full HD, images so clear that you won't miss a thing. Wise's mission is to create amazing smart home products that are available and affordable to everyone. Check on your home anytime with the Wise app live stream. Best of all, Wise provides free rolling 14-day cloud storage. And without any subscription, nothing is too small for Wise Cam to watch because at $20 a camera, you can do anything. Left your kids at home? Watch them destroy your house. For whatever reason you need it, Wise can make you wiser. And for just $10 more, Wise Cam Pan gives you 360-degree coverage in under 3 seconds. Life moves fast. Your camera should too. Patrol your home with Pan Scan. Set the camera's patrol route with up to four custom waypoints. Track the action. WiseCam Pan automatically detects tags and tracks motion within its field of view. Keeping up with life in real time has never been this easy. Plus, Wise works with Alexa and is accessible on your mobile phone from anywhere. Go to wise.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price. That's wise.com, W-Y-Z-E slash locked. The Lakers announced over the weekend that they are shutting down LeBron James for the remaining six games of the regular season. Then LeBron announced that he won't be playing for Team USA during the FIBA World Cup in China this summer. So with the Lakers not making the playoffs, LeBron passing on the World Cup so he could focus on making Space Jam 2. That means we'll be without LeBron on a basketball court until October. People can criticize LeBron all they want uh, for having out- outside interests or whatever, but like even from a basketball perspective, this seems to be the right thing to do. He's coming back from that groin tear. 
you know, the wear and tear of the basketball season, the wear and tear of the last 14 basketball seasons for him, the last eight straight finals. I mean, this is the first time he hasn't been in the playoffs since 2005. Look, if the Lakers are going to turn around things next season, him getting healthy this summer is going to be a big part of it. But where do you stand on this whole the rest thing and, and then the Space Jam thing, I guess? Well, let's lay off a little bit because there's probably going to be tougher competition on the Space Jam set than there will be in the FIBA <laughs> World Cup. I mean, no disrespect, but like, I mean, I don't know if you watched the last one, but USA was jogging through it. I mean, Kevin Durant looked like a corpse out there. And then once he finally decided to turn it on, it, it wasn't very close. You look a lot at a lot of these other international teams, by the way, their cores have really aged out, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Spain is just not where they were four or eight years ago. So I'm excited for that tournament because I'm always excited to see how the United States stacks up. Uh, He was never going to be playing in that. I mean, that's sort of the JV tournament compared to the Olympics. Now, in terms of this shutdown decision with LeBron, you mentioned earlier that first-team All-NBA debate between guys like Giannis, Katie, Paul George. I think that there is now a very real debate about whether LeBron should be snubbed from the All-NBA team this year. Here's, here's why all I say that. All three teams. All three teams. We know he's not going to make the first team. Right. You know, they only take two forwards. The second team, uh, to me, Paul George has one of those spots locked up. I think he will slide to that second team. Mm-hmm. Um, KD will take that first team spot, or at least he should, just because of Oklahoma City's kind of late season coming back to earth here a little bit. But you've got Kawhi Leonard, you've got Blake Griffin, you've got LaMarcus Aldridge. Those guys have all had better health. Even Kawhi, king of load management, will have played more minutes, more games than LeBron, and they've all played on better teams. And I actually did a little research, uh, you know, shameless plug here from my Washington Post newsletter. But if you go back and look at the last 20 years of All-NBA teams, guys who've been selected to the All-NBA teams, there's only five total guys who had played as few games as LeBron did this season. It's guys like Yao Ming, actually Steph last year, um, Chris Webber one year, Dwayne Wade one year, but all of those guys had played for winning teams. So when you're talking about missing as many games as LeBron has missed and also losing as many games as the Lakers have lost, LeBron's kind of in this category by himself. And I think there are some people would say, look, He's still the best player in basketball. He still has, you know, arguably, he still has these incredible statistics. Uh, you know, if when he was healthy, the Lakers were a plus 500 team. They were 28 and 27 with him this year. And they would also point out, hey, guys like DeMarcus Cousins missed almost as many games a couple years ago when he was back with the Kings. He was still able to get onto that All-NBA second team. But to me, this All-NBA award is a one-season annual award to, to represent kind of who were the, the most important players, the best all-around contributors. If you're only playing 55 games and you know your team is 10-plus games out of the playoff picture, should you really be in this conversation? And to me, I actually left out Steph Curry entirely last year for my ballot. Hmm. This year, I can't vote. But to me, the health factor should be really important. I think that LeBron's going to sneak on just because of the name recognition factor, because he's been on for, I think, 13 or 14 straight years, uh, because everyone kind of realizes he is worth the exception because mm-hmm. he's been so incredible his entire career. And it wouldn't totally surprise me, by the way, if he snuck onto the second team. Uh, but to me, I think voters should think long and hard about this because you do have some pretty, uh, you know, some other pretty good candidates. And certainly guys like Kawhi and Blake Griffin, to me, have definitely been more deserving. And to me, it kind of comes down to okay, LaMarcus versus uh, LeBron James, what do you really value? Do do you value the better player in a vacuum or do you value the guy who had better health and whose team won more games? Yes to all of that. LeBron's getting on. He's going to be on the all-NBA team. Um, 
I actually would push back a little bit on the Kawhi. I, I don't know how much, like, when he's on the court, he's really good, but I almost, do I value his fewer games missed due to load management or LeBron's fewer, you know, he, he missed a few more games than Kawhi did, but because of a legitimate injury that he had. And uh, Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, Toronto's going to have won almost 20 more games, That's right? the big difference. And so the argument for Kawhi is a very common All-NBA argument, which is, right. okay, you're the best player on a team that's going to win 58 games. Usually, you, Pascal there. Well, okay. <laughs> now now we're getting interesting. So now you could say LeBron versus Pascal. <laughs> if you really want to get into, like, some galaxy brain territory. Uh, but... You get my point. Like yep. that's a very standard. Hey, you're the you, you get a representative. If you yep. win 55 games, one of your players gets to make this All NBA group. That's usually how it goes, and we don't take guys from 35 win teams very often. Right, and look, unfortunately, the guy that he's got to go up against is uh, Aldridge. I think Blake's getting on. His numbers are too good. Uh, I'm with I think you. There's a lot of people that really and the way Blake Griffin has transformed his game, like. If you're Philadelphia or you're looking at Blake Griffin running point guard basically in Detroit and you're like, man, Ben Simmons, I wish you could do more of that. You know, he's kind of exactly – everybody's waiting for Ben Simmons to just sort of arrive. Just go watch a Detroit Pistons basketball game. That's basically best version of Ben Simmons. Or what about the league average three-point shooting on like seven attempts per game, right? Would you right. like to see Ben Simmons do that too? Maybe just take a three. I don't even care <laughs> if he misses it at this point. Um, what do the Lakers have to do this summer though? Because obviously LeBron is taking some time to, I guess, get healthy here. Um, also, you know, make a killer movie, which I really hope Space Jam 2 is good because he really needs it to be good more than ever now. Like, after missing the playoffs, like, if he'll, he'll make the All-NBA 18, but he's not going to be first team. He's not really in the MVP conversation, rightfully so. So it's just like, I think he really needs Space Jam 2 to be good. Not not that Space Jam 2 is going to come out this summer, but it's basically going to come out in, what, 2021, I think is the idea? I don't and see it, Wes. I don't see how this movie is good. I mean, <laughs> lay, lay out the groundwork for how you think Space Jam 2 could be a success because right okay. now the momentum is going the wrong direction for LeBron. <sighs> I got to come up with a good script here. <laughs> but I need I need more than just a redo of... Like, I need more than what Star Wars did with the new Star Wars, just like remaking the old Star Wars. You can't just, like, put LeBron in Michael Jordan's place, have Bugs Bunny hand him, like, a water bottle full of secret stuff and then call it a day and beat a bunch of, like, you know, 3D monsters. Yeah, here's my strategy. I mean, this is going to sound a little strange, but I don't think you you can't just redo Space Jam 1, right? I, he needs to take it the woke direction. Like, it needs to kind of be a more, like, like a political right. comedy yeah. almost, right? Where, like, you're imparting some life lessons, you know, culture and getting, you know, those kinds of conversations, togetherness, you know, bringing people together, the power of sport. We hear LeBron all the time lecture, uh, and rightfully so, about how important, uh, you know, being on a team it was to his, found, you know, his mm-hmm. foundational beliefs as a person, how it helped him meet, you know, white people, like, you know, just people that weren't around in his community when right. he was young. That should be how they steer this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're going to have the cartoon characters too. But you know, if he's out there on a golf course with Bill Murray, that's going to be a bad movie. Well, the other thing about Space Jam—not to make this a spa- <laughs> locked on Space Jam—but <laughs> like Michael Jordan was playing like his rivals, like the Patrick Ewings and the Charles Bar, and like all. You know what I mean? Like, who's LeBron gonna like? Who's gonna play the monsters? Like, what is it just gonna be like banged up Derrick Rose? Like, wh- you know? Well, look. Clutch Indiana sports and the, and the Lakers have been struggling with the recruiting as it is, right? right? So I don't know if it's easier to recruit for a big-budget movie or if it's easier to rec- uh, recruit for a big-budget team. But, you know, both ways we have questions. You're talking about what they should do this summer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that they really need to have a serious look in the mirror, especially their front office. And uh, I have 
nothing but respect for what Steve Ballmer has done with the Clippers, and I think there's a lot of lessons the Lakers can take from that. Making sure that you have lots of really smart people and empower them Mm -hmm. to add to the decision-making conversation. This should not just be another summer where it's magic kind of shooting from the hip with this strategy of like tough two-way playmakers that was obviously kind of laughable as soon as he put it out there uh, and it became this kind of running joke the whole season. They can't go down that path again. If this is just going to be the magic show, that's going to be a serious problem. And are they trusting their scouts? Are they uh, doing the analytics stuff to the same degree that they should be? Do they have the proper medical staff? You look at how many guys got injured for them this season. That would be a huge place I would be trying to upgrade if I was the Lakers. And you can go right on down the list from there. Um, if they don't get a superstar and if they spend their entire summer trying to get one and strike out, to me, all this talk about, oh, Luke Walton, his job security is, is questioned. To me, we start to have that conversation about the guys up the food chain, especially mm-hmm. Palinka. It's like, what are you bringing to the table? What have you really done here as this GM? Um, and, and I think that that conversation will really start to take place heavily in August if they strike out again. Yeah, well, Genie Bus isn't going anywhere. Magic's not going anywhere. So Palinka's like the guy, right? And especially if we already assume Luke is out. Um, isn't like Palinka's job at that point to like kind of keep Magic and Genie in check and, and almost bridge that gap and play mediator and like and then do the day-to-day stuff like, yeah. I don't know, get three-point shooters that you know aren't named Mike Muscala? Yeah, I think it's the, the pro-scouting stuff that a lot of other GMs do. And, and um, you know... Putting in that effort, making all of the trade calls, lining up deals, uh, having everything kind of teed up so that, you know, the decision maker, if it's Magic or if it's LeBron or some combination of the two, have good options to choose from. I just don't think that they did that this season. When you look at their moves, it was a lot of shortcuts. It honestly reminds me of what the Clippers look like during the Doc Rivers era, where you're just like going for veterans that you've heard of, name brand guys. You know, it's like, what difference is there between like Michael Beasley and Lance Stevenson compared to... Nate Robinson and uh, Glenn Big Baby Davis, right? It's the same kind of mistake. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. you're grabbing guys three, four years after you should be grabbing them um, and just kind of like hoping that it will work. And that's just not an effective way to run an organization. And I think, like I said earlier, they should look at what the Clippers are doing now so successfully and try to steer themselves more that direction. Yeah, it's not like their organization is that far away either. Um, yeah, magic. Go do be the superstar getter. That's your job. Palenka. You do all the other stuff. Put a real roster around that team and just divvy up the responsibilities that way. So Gilbert Arenas had some comments about Zion Williamson that uh, have been making the rounds a little bit here. He says that he's got questions about Zion's overall skill level, that he thinks uh, that uh, you know he lacks at real post moves, real polish, and things like that. And look, to be fair, I think it's one of the better criticisms of Zion, like if, if we're really going to get into that, um, he does need to develop post moves. And I think a lot of that kind of, and just a, a more fluid offensive game that isn't just so reliant on him jumping over dudes. Um, and we saw that sort of magnified in the NCAA tournament, but also he's not 18 years old and I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, I thought that the NCAA tournament was fascinating because it showed us everything that, that Zion does amazing, that everything that makes people gush but it also showed at the end there against Michigan State some of the things that you know nitpickers like a Gilbert Arenas or like some other people have kind of come through and said well hey wait a minute let's not crown Zion just quite yet we saw some of those things come through Um, the post moves he was going against some big long defenders 
And, you know, you're not seeing these like drop step counters to turn around jumpers, you know, like the, the variety that you might expect if he's going to be playing power forward or center in the NBA. And no disrespect to Michigan State's front court guys, but the guys are going to be bigger and longer right. even than those guys once they, he gets to the NBA. The concern for me, though, was actually the late game scenario. And I've always envisioned Zion, you know, ultimately, you know, being able to be totally positionless so he can have the ball in his hands. Uh, he's going to be able to attack in ways like a Giannis or a Ben Simmons. But at the same time, you could maybe, you know, use him in low block situations as well. What worried me in that game against Michigan State, the last minute of the game, you know, they're looking to Zion to get them a bucket. He's got the ball on the left wing. Instead of being able to attack his man one-on-one, -on -one, get to the basket, get to the free throw line, use all those incredible athletic tools that we've seen him use time and time again, in that situation, um, he didn't really look to drive hard. He kind of stepped back outside the three-point line. I thought he was going to shoot the three-pointer. But in that moment, like in the, that pressure uh, clutch situation, he didn't trust his jumper. He didn't want to shoot it. Then he passes over to R.J. Barrett, and you know the clock's running down and so forth. So R.J. goes ahead and, and kind of uses that possession. That was a situation to me where R.J. got all this uh, negative talk about, okay, he's the one who's kind of taking over late in games. But I think some of that was valid criticism of R.J., but some of it was also... There was no alternative. Like Zion, they were looking to Zion to make these plays, and he wasn't really either capable of doing it or you know trusting in his own abilities to be able to do it. And I'm not trying to say you know he shrank from the moment or uh, you know he choked or anything like that. But to trust your ball handling and to trust your shot with the game on the line, it requires uh, a level of precision and training and just repetitions and having done it time and time and time again. And Zion is not your just classic two-guard who's been doing that his entire life, right? He's been kind of this shape-shifting player uh, who maybe hasn't necessarily been in those situations or been pushed to the brink like Michigan State did. I just didn't like that response from him. And I do think it validated some of the criticism of saying, hey, look, if he's going to become the best player in the NBA, if he's going to be that quote-unquote next LeBron, he's got to bring his handle much better than where it is right yeah. now. He's got to bring his three-point shooting much better uh, than it is right now. And that will help him in late game situations. I do think he's going to benefit from being in spaced out offenses in the NBA. He's going to have more room to operate. He'll be able to go more one-on-one -on -one rather than seeing, you know, a lots and lots of help defenders. Uh, but still, I do think, you know, I'm not trying to say, oh, Gilbert Arenas was right. But I do think the, the critics of Zion, the nitpickers, they had some fodder that they could point to yeah. and say, hey, here's what it played out in a very big moment for his team. Well, he needs a go-to move, right? He needs, like, it, what's his fadeaway? What's his step-back jumper? What, what's, what's the go-to move? Because he doesn't have it other than just dunking on dudes, and he just can't do that all the time. We've seen this in the NBA time and time again. Like, and that's why we make the Blake Griffin comparison so often, is that that was sort of his go-to move, and he eventually had to learn to do other stuff. And Zion, not to say he can't do it. He's actually, you know, he's a next-level passer. He's, he's, he's got a lot of good things about him. He's amazing defensively when it comes to recovering on guys, but he does get beat a little bit at the point of attack. So there's things you got to clean up. But again, he's 18. He'll figure it out. You look at, like, where, you know, these guys who are in the—like, Giannis is just now getting go-to moves. You know, like, all these guys. Like, there's plenty of time. Um, so he'll be okay. I'm there, not, I'm there's not there's tons of time. It's a yeah. great point. And also, like, there's other things that could have happened negatively, right? If he drives, he gets yeah. called for a charging foul. That's possible. If he tries to do too much in traffic, he could throw the ball away. You don't want to do that. So it's not like he made the worst decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, setting up a player who's a very good one-on-one -on -one player in R.J. Barrett, who obviously has the confidence to shoot late in games, 
that's a good backup option. But we just want to see, hey, if you're going to be the best player in basketball, which that's available to him. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's like on the table for him. And we don't say that about that many guys. He could be the best player in the league at some point of his career. Um, He's going to need to be better than uh, settling for R.J. Barrett as the backup option. Yeah, and all this nitpicking and all that stuff, he's going number one, and every GM in the league would take him number one. So really, you just sort of deal with it. Um, Where do we want to see him go, though? Because, look, the lottery odds have smoothed out a little bit this year. I kind of wanted to talk about Zion in the NBA because now we're at that point, right? Like, his collegiate career is over. The nitpicking is really going to begin, even though he kind of, he's like the most liked Duke player of all time. Um, Where do we want to see him go? I know the Knicks are right now at the number one pick. I think a lot of people would like to see him at MSG, but where do you want to see him? No, I think we should say, where do you want to see him? Because uh, I know you've got some pretty strong feelings on this matter. Well, the one thing I keep seeing out there is that, oh, you know what would be great? Zion on the Hawks. It's like, re- do we really want to see Zion on the Hawks? Like, I get it. Like, if, if, there's a w- if there was a way to tank the right way, I guess the Hawks did it. Um, they've got Trey Young. They want to get up and down. They want to play fast. You know, they've got, like, this young coaching staff. You know, they got this Warriors GM, you know, the old Warriors assistant is now their GM. I get it. I get the whole thing. But, like, do we really want to take the ball out of Trey Young's hands anymore? Then do we really want to take the ball out of Zion's hands anymore? Trey Young and Zion Williamson, I like to watch them when the ball is in their hands. I don't want to see less of that by any means. I love watching Trey Young this year. I don't want to, I don't want to enjoy Zion at the expense of not getting to enjoy Trey Young as much. And so I'm like, I don't. I don't want them to play together. I don't want, like, maybe five, six, seven years down the road, they can form their own little super team, maybe if they really want to. But right now, I want to get peak Trey Young. I want I want Trey Young to go all out right now. It's his team. Let him handle the ball, high usage, do his thing, build around him. And whichever team Zion goes to, I want him to have the ball all the time and you build around him. I don't want them together because now you're... you're it, the enjoyment of one is coming at the expense of the other. It's a really interesting counterpoint. I, I like wh- where your mind is at. Here's what I'm a little bit more nervous about. It's my higher priority mm. than just worried about is the table completely set for him. I'm worried that he goes to a franchise where they will squander his talent, right? Because he needs some development like we just talked about. So I look like a team like Phoenix, uh, a team like New Orleans, uh, you know, even some of these Eastern Conference teams, whether it's like the Wizards, the Chicago Bulls, uh, even the Knicks, mm-hmm. to a certain degree, I would be worried. Are we going to get the best from Zion in those environments? Are they going to have the support structure and the development uh, that that is necessary to get him to his full potential? And to me, that's a greater concern than is he going to steal some of Trey Young's shine. But I, I hear what you're saying. Um, the other thing about the New York deal is if he if he gets picked by New York, not a great infrastructure there, right? But they could just turn around and possibly trade him to New Orleans, which is the same exact problem, too. Right. Um, I've said, you know, Dallas uh, Mm -hmm. would be another place I'd be interested in seeing. I just trust their coaching staff a lot. And I also, uh, you know, think that, like, if Cuban was able to get Zion, Porzingis, and Luka together, like, that would, you know, he would find a way to sort of bring in the pieces that's needed uh, to turn that team into a contender, you know, in the not-too-distant future. Um we were talking a little bit earlier. Cleveland is kind of a sneaky good basketball fit, right? Because right. they've got Kevin Love, the shooter. Yep. Colin Sexton's come on a little bit here. I don't still, I don't really love his game, but he has shown he can shoot the ball a little bit better. And the more existing three-point threats on your team, if you're going to just drop Zion in and, and want him to win Rookie of the Year and look as good as possible, that's helpful. 
the hard part is you just can't get over that mental block of like, geez, are we really going to let Cleveland win the lottery <laughs> again? <laughs> yeah, and like I just don't want to see it happen. I like look, and for Zion, you got to be. You're now the next LeBron in LeBron's hometown. You know, I don't. I don't care for that narrative a whole lot. I don't. That's that's that's, that's too first takey. That's too much. I kind of. I almost hope of one of these teams because you're talking about like good basketball fit. Yeah, Phoenix is a good basketball fit. Cleveland is a good basketball fit. Chicago, good basketball fit. Um, I just don't trust any of that infrastructure. So you almost hope that one of these like one of one of these other teams right. deep in the lottery just gets really lucky and jumps up like no. I'm, like gl- a I'm glad you or said Washington that or something like that. I'm glad you said that because Sacramento they could be like the new OKC, right? Like. Right. You know, De'Aaron Fox is going to do the Westbrook impersonation. Zion, maybe he's like in this like star wing, and like maybe he's the Kevin Durant. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but you get this idea of this young core in a city that has this you know, small market, yep. but crazy basketball fans who would totally rally around him. I'm sure the the purple jerseys would sell like crazy with Zion on them. I, I don't know, like that kind they of get, environment. They get their pick if it's the number one pick, right? And they don't if it's anything else. <laughs> like if they leapt up, that would be the luckiest of all time. Well, they have a they have a right now a point five percent chance of getting the number one pick. That That's why incredible. we're dreaming. You kind of like Memphis too, though, right? <laughs> I do. I like Memphis. You get Mike Conley there if they don't trade him. You get Mike Conley there. He plays a little bit off the ball. Zion's able to kind of do this point center, point forward thing. Jaron Jackson Jr. is already there. He looked established before he went down. I know you wrote a really good profile about him for the Washington Post too. A little plug, but. Um, I think with Jack, Jaron Jackson there, he's like this unselfish superstar who could really compliment a guy like Zion. Again, you have Conley off the ball, this veteran presence. I like J.B. Bickerstaff. I think he'll figure it out. And then they've been in the playoffs somewhat recently. Like you can kind of, there, there's an institution there that you can sort of build on. So yeah, it's so much like what I was saying with Cleveland, where their right. point guard's a shooter, right, mm-hmm. in Conley, and then you know Jaron's a shooter too. So you've already got two of the pieces that you need. You just need to find a couple of three and D wings, and like you're totally in business. And the only the only problem with Memphis is the marketing side, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's a super small market. They've been back, you know. They've been really good and not actually that popular when they were really good. Like they made the Western Conference Finals and they probably had like 16 people watching on television. So if you're, you know, part of the the Zion monolith that's kind of angling for this 100 million dollar sneaker deal right. and all the other stuff, um, it would know, be it's, the it's ultimate not, superstar test because if right. Zion can get there and make Memphis relevant, almost in a way that Westbrook can make Oklahoma City right. relevant. That would it would have to be that, but that is such an extreme. Yeah, so hopefully it wouldn't be like Steve Francis and the Vancouver Grizzlies. You know, <laughs> hopefully it would be a little bit friendlier if he gets drafted there. But that would be the real test. There's no question. Let's move on to our locked on line of the night really quick. Al Horford, 19 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists, and the Celtics win over the Heat. Kemba Walker had 47 points, uh, but the Hornets lost to the Jazz, 111 to 102. Robin Lopez, 29 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 assists in that Bulls game. Again, They lost to the Knicks because Luke Cornett went off for 24 points and 6 rebounds. Uh, nothing huge across the NBA calendar tonight. but uh, Well, hey, don't forget, Evan Turner had a much ballyhooed triple-double mm-hmm. for the Portland Trailblazers as well. 13 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Solid. Apparently his teammates were going nuts on his behalf. It's a guy who's gotten a lot of uh, grief over the years. Okay. and Great to see him finally making that contract payoff, Wes. So you're giving it to Kemba? Or not Kemba, Evan Turner? <laughs> no, I actually think we should give it to Luke Cornett. I mean, what are the odds? If you had said, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, Luke Cornett's going to have a line of the night, I would say no way. But I think we should give it to him. Yeah, let's do it. Luke Cornett, congrats. You get the Locked On line of the night. Uh, make sure to follow Locked On NBA Net on Twitter for all of 
the Locked On local experts on one easy to use feed, and check out your favorite team's podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. And don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA on your favorite podcast platform, including the brand new platform, Himalaya. Really cool, intuitive app. You should download it. Rate, review, and say nice things about us. Thanks to Ben Golliver. Make sure to check out his work over at the Washington Post. We'll catch you next time.